Good morning, fellowship family. I got just a few more inches of shade. How are you guys doing out there? I told Pastor Ross before the service started, though, that like two months from now, we're going to wish we bottled this day up and stuffed it in a jar because I can guarantee on October 22, it won't be 72 and sunshiny at 9.30 in the morning on a Sunday morning, will it? So we're grateful for the chance to worship outside and enjoy a little bit of God's creation. My name is Nate Skipper, uh, and I'm one of the pastors here at Fellowship, where our mission is to love God and others as an accepting community centered in Christ and focused on developing faithful followers of Jesus. If you are visiting with us this morning, or if you have been visiting with us, uh, and we don't know exactly who you are, and you'd like for us to know who you are, we have these connection cards that are right by, on the tables uh, by the offering plates or offering bowls, and you can fill that out and drop it in there so that we might be able to contact you and get to know you a little bit better. We are not like Google. We will not share your information with anybody else, I promise, uh, but it will be a way for us uh, to reach out and get to know you a little bit better. So we encourage you to do that. Next week, we have some really cool stuff going on as well on top of uh, an outdoor service this week. Next week, we will be having a prayer walk outdoors uh, for uh, West Ottawa schools as we begin our ministry with them through Kids Hope and Hand to Hand. Also, uh, in the evening, we'll be having a hymn sing at 6.30 p.m., which will include uh, some time of song, obviously, that uh, Jess talked about last week, but also... My personal favorite, ice cream, uh, following the hymn sing. So join us for the hymn sing and an ice cream social uh, after that. As we uh, begin worship this morning, I just want to highlight a couple of people updates. One is that we have been asked to pray for Denny and Barb Baldwin's grandson, who was in a bad accident, car accident, last night. Uh, thankfully, he's been stabilized this morning, but we'll be praying for Mitchell uh, Herder uh, this morning uh, as he recovers from a bad accident yet last night. And also, you might notice in your bulletin um, that Joan Buck passed away this week, um, and we're going to be having her services, we just found out, on Thursday uh, evening for visitation here from 5 to 8, and the service will be on Friday morning at 11 a.m. right in the Fellowship Sanctuary. So if you'd like to join us in honoring and giving thanks for Joan's life, that'll be on Friday. Would you please stand and we'll uh, receive the call to worship um, from God this morning together. Oh God, your constant love reaches to the heavens. Your faithfulness extends to the skies. Your righteousness towers like mountains. Your justice is deeper than the sea. All find protection under the shadow of your wings. We feast on the abundance you provide. You are the source of life, and in your light, we see light. Amen. Let us worship God together.
Even as we sing praise to God, we also acknowledge that all is not right with the world and all is not right with ourselves. We will enter into a time of confession, and a way in which we'd like to do that this morning is that I will uh, pray a portion of the prayer, and then I will say, Lord, have mercy. And then you all will reply, Christ, have mercy. It's the ancient Kyrie. So let's practice that one time. Lord, have mercy. Let us pray together. Lord, you come to us, but we do not recognize you. You call, but we do not follow. You command, but we do not obey. Lord, have mercy. Lord, you accept us, but we do not accept others. You forgive us, but we do not forgive those who wrong us. You love us, but we do not love our neighbors. Lord, have mercy. Lord, you showed us to carry out how to carry out your mission, but we still insist on our own. You identified yourself with outcasts, the needy, and the poor, but we do not bother to find out what is happening to them. Lord, have mercy. Lord, you suffered and died for the sake of all, but we do not give up our comfortable lives. You invite faith in you, but we put faith in us. Lord, have mercy. Please forgive and help us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. My friends, hear the good news. Who is in a position to condemn? Only Christ. And Christ died for us. Christ rose for us. Christ reigns in power for us. And Christ prays for us. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Let us live in the grace and peace of that forgiveness. Thanks be to God. We invite you now to join us in this next song that's been a new one we've been learning this summer. Um, just speaking of how God turns the graves into gardens, the graves in our lives, the places of death into new life. And so as we consider this posture of confession and cleansing, um, might we remember that Christ turns these dark places into places of growth in life.
during that song. So I'm going to stand here at the end because we're going to share the peace of Christ with one another. So um, the peace of Christ be with you. And also with you. Would you share a sign of that peace with your neighbor? Okay, friends, now you may be seated, and as you are, the Lord be with you. Hey, before we turn to our scriptures this morning, I invite you to join me in prayer. Let's pray together. Almighty God, what a gift it is for us to gather before you in the original sanctuary, the great outdoors, your creation. I'm mindful of what the psalmist said in Psalm 24, who said that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who dwell in it. For you, O God, you founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. And today with our text, we recognize that we look to you, O God, to do it again in our lives right now, to build a good and beautiful things in the midst of the stormy waters of life. By your spirit and by your son, help us to do that even today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, friends, we are in a sermon series all summer long called Reconnecting and Rising Strong. It's on the front of your bulletin. We've been in it together. And today I simply want to admit with our text even that that phrase is sometimes aspirational for us. We are leaning towards it and hoping for it, even as it may not always be our uh, experienced reality. I sometimes joke with friends or with family about how we live in West Michigan and there's an organization in our own town called Winning at Home. And sometimes the life experience is the opposite, like losing at home, right? It would not be nearly as catchy of a title of an organization, but that is sometimes the life experience that we have. And in the same way, some of you have even suggested that with our series this summer called Reconnecting, and rising strong, sometimes life still feels a bit like the opposite, like being disconnected and drowning. And uh, it's kind of funny and also uh, a hard reality of what some of us experience. Thankfully, that our scriptures don't shy away from these realities, and our story today actually takes us to that kind of a place where we have this coming together of faith and of failure, of hardship in life and hope, a message about what disciples of Jesus, us, things that we can do and things that we can't. And so I invite you to hear this in the story from Matthew chapter 14, the book that we love, verses 22 to 33. This is how the story goes. Immediately, and this is immediately after Jesus fed the 5,000, right after that great story, it says, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat And go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Fascinating details of what Jesus does in just passing phrases in the Bible. Important things. But then it says this. When evening came, 
there he was alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. During the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they, were, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter said, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come out to you on the water. Come, said Jesus. So Peter got down out of the boat, walked on water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him, saying, You of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat together, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped Jesus, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I have in my pocket today a simple little reminder for me and hopefully for you of uh, the way that this story unfolds. It's a coin. I know we're a far away and you may not carry coins in your pockets nowadays. I had to find one. Uh, but this is a story that we just read that has two halves. And it is a bit like a coin that has two sides. We just read 12 verses. The first Six verses are all about Jesus, kind of like the front side of a quarter, which has George Washington's face on it. It is the front side of it. But then there is a shift, and the whole second half of the text, another six verses, is about Peter, or perhaps even us as disciples of Jesus. It is two sides of one same coin or of the same story, and it's a helpful way to remember that that's what's going on in this particular story today. But before we get to those two halves specifically, I want you to acknowledge with me one of the very clear details in the story is that there is a storm. And a storm almost always is an indicator to us of trouble, trouble in the world. In the year 1991, there was a storm that had this kind of perfect combination of the things that make for storms. I don't know exactly what they are, but pressures and wind and darkness and waves and all those kinds of things came together so much so that they eventually made a movie about this particular storm in the year 2000, and it was called The Perfect Storm. Perfect being kind of a euphemism for a terrible, terrifying, devastating kind of event. You might actually say that this is fitting to what the disciples were experiencing at this moment in the story. Now, of course, they're out on the Sea of Galilee. It's not the Atlantic Ocean, so it's not quite the same scale. But for them, those three terrible things do come together darkness and water and wind, which generates big waves. In the Bible, we know, and you see this from cover to cover in the Bible, that water is viewed a little differently than we West Michiganders view water. We love that lake right over there, and we maybe wish we were in it right now. But water in the Bible is often much more of a scary place, a place of chaos and disorder. And from the very beginning, it is God whose spirit is brooding over these chaos waters. 
And what God does is generates an ordered, beautiful creation out of it. And then a couple chapters later, it is these waters that were pushed back to make for a beautiful creation that come crashing back in. And they are, it is this great flood. And the only things that survive are Noah and his arks. In the middle of the Bible, we have uh, stories of the great sea monsters. So not only is the water itself sometimes scary, but then there's these great monsters in it called Leviathan, shows up in the book of Job. And it is an addition to the scary part of what it's like to be out on these waters. Even in the end of the Bible, in Revelation, it is this multi-horned beast that rises up out of these chaos waters of life. The disciples, adding that idea of water alongside wind and the darkness of night, were in a kind of perfect storm. I don't know if you've ever been out on a cruise ship or even out on Lake Michigan way out there and had a moment to just pause and think. Perhaps it's at night and the waves are big and you think, wow, I would be in trouble if these lights went out and if the boat sank. It can be that kind of a scary scenario for them. And that's what it was for these disciples out in the stormy waters. I think it's fitting for us to recognize that for the disciples long ago, it might have been a literal, literal storm on a lake. For us today, and really ever since this story has been written and read, it's representative of the, story, the storms we experience in life. And life is stormy sometimes, right? And especially now, and maybe the storms that you're experiencing right now are big enough to earn a kind of title like that perfect storm from 1991. Might call it loneliness or grief or losing at home, news from the doctor. Languishing is a brand is a new-ish psychological term that is the opposite of flourishing. Not quite clinical depression, but life is just Blah, languishing is the word for that particular storm. It's a way of saying that even if life is all okay out here in the visible arenas of our life, it's not always all okay in here. Adding on to that, we're recognizing also that if you're in a position of leadership anywhere, in a business, in a classroom, in a family, whatever it might be, this pandemic is continually stormy. Decisions are costly. Not everyone's nice about it, even in West Michigan, right? In this way and many, many others, we're reminded that life is stormy and we feel the power, the pressure of the storm all around us. Maybe it's the size of the waves. Maybe it's the vastness of the sea that seems to be unending Maybe it's the dark of night. Whatever it is, I think it's fair to say that we know our storms, and maybe some of us are in them right now. But the storm is not the only thing in the story, of course. There's also a boat, and this boat is not the kind of boat that some of you, are, again, might be longing for right now. It's not a beautiful wooden crisscraft glimmering in the sunshine. It's not a powerful mastercraft that kicks up an awesome wake behind it for playing. It's not a Tierra yacht made for cruising out on the high seas. It's not even an inflatable dinghy that you would cruise through the channel with for a day of fun out on Lake Michigan today. It's an ancient, rickety old boat with questionable seaworthiness. That's the one that Jesus tells the disciples to get in long ago and really ever since 
the classic interpretation of that boat is that it is the church. It is where the disciples are gathered looking to weather the storms of life. The disciples who are in there, they're rowing at night. They can't really see where they're going, and they're not really making great progress either. And importantly, they don't really know where Jesus is at the moment. It's a scary moment. The key word, if you were to grab your Bible later and lean into a certain word, you might notice the word battered. That's what is described, how the boat is described. It's battered. Other translations would say buffeted or vexed or tortured, harassed. That's what's happening to the boat at that particular time in this storm. It's a word that in scripture is used almost every other time to describe human suffering. So we can really lean into this. The other times it's used in scripture, it's speaking about a sickness that harasses us, about a person being possessed by a demon. It's about the hardship of being paralyzed. It's even used about a woman in labor. We don't necessarily know what the battering is always for. Sometimes its intent is to destroy us, and sometimes it is to test us and to help us grow. We don't know, and the disciples didn't either as they were in that boat that time. Now, at this point in the story, we might pause and just simply acknowledge that this is where many people do stop and assume that this is all there is. A big storm in the world and a small boat trying to survive, and it's up to me and up to you to somehow survive it or not. But of course, we're Christians, and the story is recorded in the Bible because this is only where the story begins to get interesting. It is, in fact, in the very middle of that night, at the darkest hour, where Jesus shows up. And the exact center of the story, as it is told, is the very words of Jesus spoken to his disciples in the midst of that storm. He says, take courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. That's no ordinary hello on the waters like you might tip a hat to a boat that's passing by. This is the divine Lord greeting his storm-tossed church out on the stormy seas. And in the same way that water in our Bible is often this scary place of chaos and of chaos monsters, so also in the Bible it is always God Almighty who brings forth good things out of those things, who makes a beautiful creation out of it. It is God who walks on the waters in the Psalms. It is God who takes that scary monster called Leviathan and puts it on a hook and makes it a plaything for little girls. That's what it says. God is the mighty one who shows up walking on the storms of life, sovereign over these kinds of things. If you're in a particular stormy point of life right now, friends, I hope you hear this gospel message loud and clear. It is right there in the story. Jesus shows up in the midst of our storms at the darkest moment in them, and he is sovereign over these storms of our life. What that means for each and every one of us is up to him and you to sort out when you're in it. But it is an enormous thing to realize that Jesus came to the disciples as they are on that storm-tossed sea. We are encouraged on the first side of the coin, if you will, the clear message is to see Jesus in the storms and to put your faith in him. 
But that's not the whole story, as I've said. If you flip the coin over, you realize we're actually only halfway there. And the rest of the story is actually about this disciple who responds to Jesus showing up on the stormy seas. His name is Peter. But I really want you to think about perhaps that Peter represents you in this story as well. If we're honest, we have to recognize that the typical way of reading this story often paints Peter up in a rather negative light. A common way to look at it is to say, shame on Peter, right? He tried and he failed. He got out of the boat and he started sinking. So shame on him, some might say. Even after all, Jesus rebukes him saying, Peter, you are one of little faith. I want to come back to that in a minute because it might mean something a little different than you might first think. And I want to challenge right now that reading of the text if you're familiar of it. Remember, Peter is one of 12 disciples. The other 11 stayed in the boat. So when we paint up Peter as some kind of failure for sinking, remember, he's the only one who actually tried. He's the only disciple to sink because he's the only one to get out of the boat. The rest just sat there and watched. There's a thing called the Failure Lab. I don't know if you ever heard of this before. It's like a TED Talk, but the Failure Lab is the opposite of a TED Talk. A TED Talk would be a gathering where someone comes forward and shares their best ideas and their best wins in life for the good of the world. A Failure Lab is a similar gathering, but instead the person is invited to come forward and share their story of failing, of trying and sinking, and of how it goes sideways. These are fascinating stories, but it is a way of pushing back our culture's obsession with winning and recognizing that sometimes it is, in fact, in failing that we learn lessons we would not learn otherwise. By trying and failing, Peter joins the ranks of those who dare to speak up and tell the story of their failures. By trying and failing, Peter joins like Thomas Edison, who is the one who invented the light bulb and who tried and failed 10,000 times. But instead of admitting that those were failures, he says, I've only learned 10,000 ways that don't work. And they were on the way towards learning the one that does. J.K. Rowling, the author of the Harry Potter series, a famous one, right, uh, public, uh, pitched her book to 12 different publishers. All of them were rejected before finally it started to go public. Howard Schultz, the founder of Starbucks, the reason we enjoy good coffee probably nowadays, he applied for loans 242 times and was rejected until finally someone took a risk on this idea of Starbucks coffee. Shakespeare, the great playwriter, in the very same time span of writing several of his most famous and most beloved plays, also wrote some of his biggest belly flops, the ones that are picked on the most for being terrible. He was failing at the very moments that he was succeeding. Even the Beatles, recognized as one of the best bands of all time, 1962, the Beatles were told that guitar bands were on the way out and that they had no future in showbiz. If all of these different people avoided failure at all costs, we would be lacking all of the things that they've contributed to the world. But instead, they kind of dug in. And like Winston Churchill, I love his quote. 
he also familiar with his own failures. Winston Churchill has said that success is going from failure to failure without a loss of enthusiasm. Peter is that person. If you read your Bible, you'll realize Peter fails a lot, and he keeps on going, and that's the detail that matters. So let me ask you this question. When Peter starts to sink, what's the problem? Read the text again, and you'll see there's two of them. One of them is he takes his eyes off Jesus. He starts to look at the storm instead of his Lord. That's the first thing. And the second is that he starts doubting, which is precisely what Jesus reprimands him for. He starts doubting. But what does he doubt? Some say he doubts Jesus, but Jesus isn't sinking. He's sinking, and he's the one who's fearing the storms. It's very likely that Peter is actually doubting himself. Because Jesus called him out, and he was walking on the water, and then he starts to sink. Remember, Jesus picked Peter to be his disciple, one who had already been passed over by all kinds of others. Jesus picked Peter to be his disciple. He is part of God's plan A, as are we, to bring the gospel to the world. He and we, these wobbly and sometimes sinking disciples, are the ones called to bring the message to the world. Which is a way of saying, and I hope you're hearing this now, the story has two sides like a coin. The first side is for us to see Jesus in the storm and to put our faith in him. The second is to recognize that Jesus has great faith in us. And so Peter walks on water and Jesus calls him and us and others to join his great work in the world. He tries and he fails, but that is, in fact, better than not trying at all. It's a great quote from our summer read with Brene Brown. Maybe you're in it with us this week. The chapter has at the beginning of it, it says, Regret is a tough but fair teacher. And then she goes on to give the example of a person who gets a tattoo that says, No regrets. Spelled wrong, right? And so then, of course, you regret the tattoo. And the point is that regret is a tough but fair teacher. Peter, by sinking, learns lessons that he could not have learned otherwise. He becomes aware of his own doubts. And by trying and failing, he learns, as a disciple of Jesus, the things that he can do that he didn't think he could, walk on water, and also, the things that he can't do, walk on water without Jesus. He learned stuff by trying and by failing. Meanwhile, the disciples, the others who stayed in the boat and never got out in the first place, they have their own regrets to learn from too, right? They have the regret of never having tried at all. And regret is a tough but fair teacher. Friends, I hope you can remember these two sides of this same story, like a coin where the two belong together of utmost importance always, and especially in the storms of life, is first of all for us to see Jesus there, sovereign over it, as we are invited to put our faith in him. And at the same time, remember that Jesus has faith in us, and we are invited to join him in the great adventures of life and of ministry in this world. Some wise folks have said, if you want to walk on water, 
you got to get out of the boat. It's based on this particular story. Friends, I invite you to consider that, both sides of the coin, as we go from this place today. Let's pray together. Almighty God, we give you thanks today as we gather around the word and recognize that in a storm-filled world, there's Jesus coming to us, walking on the waves, and we have the great invitation to put our faith in him. And at the same time, we are invited also to realize that he has great faith in us, that the church has an important mission in the world, and we get to be a part of it. Help us to see and hear both sides of those stories and to go from this place living as if it's true. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.